Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am Nicolette Richet, your host. And on today's show, we have Dr. Brandy Gilmore. She is a PhD in natural medicine, and she is a world-renowned speaker and mind-body expert. But before we dive into this incredible episode with Brandy, I want to let you know about our Eat Real to Heal book. We've had a book that's been on Amazon as a number one bestseller in multiple categories for healing and reversing chronic diseases and cancer using regenerative medicine via food, food as medicine. This book has already helped so many people reclaim their lives, get their energy back, overcome their chronic pain, and really to be able to turn their kitchens into their local pharmacies so that they can start extracting nutrients out of their food, switching their diets to plant-based whole food so that they can reverse their diseases and reclaim their lives. Now, get a copy of this book if you know somebody who is suffering from diabetes, from heart disease, from infertility, migraines, endometriosis, fibromyalgia. I mean, the list is so long of all the chronic diseases that are lifestyle diseases. You need to get a copy of this book. At the beginning of the book, there is a lovely page um, that says, P.S. I love you, where we encourage you to write a love letter to the person that you're giving the book to, to let them know why you want them to heal their bodies so that you can grow old with them so that you can sail across the seas on a wonderful sailing trip with them when you're 90 years old together. So you can dance the night away um, on your 60th wedding anniversary and so on. So please get a copy of that book, give it to somebody that you love and work with them to also help implement these lifestyle changes that will allow them to overcome their chronic illnesses and will allow them to get their life back and really achieve unlimited energy and vitality. So you can get that book on Amazon. You can buy our book in multiple bookstores around the world. Um, it's actually coming out as an audiobook as well, and it will soon be translated into French. So we're super excited about the Eat Real to Heal book. Get your copy today. Now, if you happen to live in British Columbia or Edmonton, Alberta, please check out one of our Green Mustache Cafes. Our restaurants are 100% organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, unrefined, plant-based, whole foods all the time. So our food is nutrient-dense, highly delicious, always nutritious. Go in and get yourself a smoothie, a cold-pressed juice, one of our beautiful desserts that we make. There's no refined flour or refined sugar or salt added to our food. So all of our food comes from the whole food itself. So get into one of our cafes, try one of our meals, let us know what you think, write to us. We would love your feedback. We love to hear from our customers from all around the world that come and visit us in British Columbia and Alberta. Now getting back to Brandy Gilmore. Like I said, she's a world-renowned speaker and mind-body expert. She's well-known for her discoveries using the power of the mind to create visible and immediate healing results. So Brandy is unlike our other guests that we've had on the show in that most of our guests are people who've used food as medicine to heal. 
Brandy, however, she has used her mind to overcome her own um, physical setbacks that she experienced where she found herself in a wheelchair for a very long period of time. She now is vibrant. She is walking and talking and running and exercising. She no longer has a wheelchair, but she's gonna share that story with you. But she did this by accessing the healing power of her mind. So that's why I'm so excited to bring this show to you. Due to the eye-opening results that Brandy has been able to demonstrate, including making her own miraculous recovery like I talked about, Brandy's work is quickly gaining momentum and captivating audiences around the world. She's been featured on stages across the globe. She's given a mind-expanding TEDx talk, and she's being featured in several upcoming documentaries, which are set to release um, later this year and in 2020. We were also featured in a brilliant documentary about chronic pain together. That's where I met Brandy and that documentary is called On a Scale of 1 to 10. In addition to her incredible work, Brandy has a genuine heart and sincere desire to help create a better world. She works with top celebrities, entrepreneurs, Olympic athletes, CEOs, and groups worldwide, sharing with people how to use the power of their own minds to heal their bodies and live an even better and happier life. So enjoy the show. Write to us. Let us know what you think. And also, please share this episode with someone who may be able to benefit from this information. Uh, They can see Brandy directly. We'll put you in touch with her and you can help them along their healing journey. Welcome, Brandy. Gilmore, it is such a pleasure to have you on our Eat Real to Heal podcast. Nicola, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Brandy, you're chiming in from LA, is that correct? That is. And did you grow up in LA or where did you grow up? Um, actually, Orange County, so um, about a couple hours south of here. But yes, um, I, I'm a Southern California woman all the way around. I love it. So. Amazing, amazing. Um, Brandy, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this show, um, you know, it is called the Eat Real to Heal podcast. So we often talk about people who reclaimed their health, reversed their diseases, canceled surgeries, got off meds by changing their diet. And obviously don't, they don't just change their diet, they're changing their lifestyle. But you know, you're the first guest that we've had on where we are really, really diving into the mind-body connection and the power of the mind to heal the body entirely. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show because often when I'm speaking at workshops and conferences, there's always somebody who puts up their hand and says, you know, well, I think my disease is related to my mind. Like I created this. um, And so therefore I can use my mind to uncreate it. And I always say, you know what, if I can teach it to you and how to do that, I would be teaching you that instead of teaching you about food, which is so hard because, you know, cooking every day, shopping every day, cleaning and chopping, like it's probably one of the hardest lifestyle changes to make. Whereas, um, this is why I love having you on because you, you really, really work with your clients uh, would you say mostly on the mind aspect of healing? Absolutely. With absolutely everything that I do currently right now is mostly with the mind. Um, very little has to do with food and nutrition. <laughs> yeah, that's so. where we make a really good team. We need to have exactly. a little practice. Together. <laughs> so, exactly. 
So I, I mean, I knew about what you did from when we first met the first time when the film crew came to our wellness center in Pemberton. I think that was the first time I met you. Yes. And it was so much fun filming with you. Just the energy of it. It was just, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, no, that was awesome. That was first time um, being in a documentary for me and um, really exciting to have all the physicians and healthcare practitioners um, you were in and how you healed yourself. But I wanted to start off with Andrea's story first. Absolutely. Isn't, isn't she amazing? Isn't amazing. she? You know, she's wonderful. And, um, and really, it wasn't a couple of sessions. So a lot of times what I do, so she actually joined one of my, uh, like I do online workshops, right? And she joined one and it has like a video set with it and, and like group coaching and stuff like that. And so what I did with her is what I like to do with people is I like to show them the power of their mind. And so what I did with her is she was having pain in addition with everything else. And so I'll take volunteers and I show them how to get rid of pain um, and release their pain with their mind in minutes so they can experience it. And what's wonderful about that is people can see the power of their mind and they can see like, oh my God, my mind really does influence my physical body. And so, uh, and so really for her to go from bedridden and at the time she was allergic, she was only able to eat something like 10 or nine, 10 foods at all. She was allergic to everything. She, um, and she was in a pain and uh, supine. So uh, not just bedridden, but she had to lay down flat. Um, if she sat up, then she could pass out and her, um, she had, um, extreme tachycardia, different things like that. So, um, so she, she actually took about, she was a prog like progression. She was like, Oh my God. Like when she first started, she, we showed her, I showed her how to release her pain. And, and, um, and so she used her mind to do that. And, and, um, and then she started eating more foods and, and different things like that. So it became a progression for her, but from being bedridden um, to actually walking, uh, it took her about nine months actually. So, um, so that was about, so she was feeling better and happier and, and all of these things. And, um, and it took her a little bit. Each, each person is, is different. And so uh, then I think a total, it took her 11 months from when she first started working with me. Uh, to, until she got undiagnosed from everything and until she ran her first marathon and so, or walked, did her first uh, marathon. It was like, it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> so she, she walked her thir first marathon with her family and it was beautiful. And then, then she ran one and just amazing. Um, and what's and, amazing, just, just to go back so that people know, like when you say she was supine, like she was literally like laying in a bed, but not just for a few weeks or a few months, like it was quite a few years. Cause at the end, I remember when her daughter comes home from school and she sees her mom walking in the kitchen and her daughter just breaks down crying. Like that was, you know, to see something like that, I just can't even imagine what that must've been like. But then she also said that the daughter had never actually remembered her mom walking. And it was her daughter, uh, because she had been supine bedridden for six years and her daughter, I believe, in that video was nine. Um, so, and you should see, like, honestly, you should see this woman is just, uh, she's beautiful because she's so grateful for life and glowing. Her kids and her, like, they're just, like, right now they're, they're traveling. She sent me, like, a picture from London the other day um, with her family and her kids. And it's so, she's just, she's an amazing mother to these kids. And it's, and they're glowing and it just, 
it's it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But um, you know, when you when you really work with the mind and you change what needs to be changed, it's, it's kind of like if you program your mind for happiness and you program it for health and you program it, you know, it, it, it not only changes your health, it changes your life. And so, um, so it's just, it's beautiful. And like I said, you know, when she took about nine months until she was walking, I've had other people like a woman that I'm working that's in one of my groups right now. Uh, she, um, she's been paralyzed for, uh, seven years um and like and so she came in and probably in the first three weeks uh you know she got her legs her legs started jumping so that's typically whenever somebody's paralyzed that's the first uh step that i'll see is they're they're they'll have some involuntary jumps and then they'll be able to like like she's straightening her arms and so you know it's uh so it's typically a progression of different things if somebody's been bedridden or paralyzed for years or stuff like that there's typically a it's not usually overnight but usually as far as pain goes um you know or pain or other symptoms and stuff like that uh usually the changes can just be rather quickly and that's the part that i'm sure for anybody who's listening to this right now you're like yeah right like paralyzed the doctors couldn't figure it out they diagnosed her with you know all these different you know conditions you know i know some doctors have told my clients like oh yeah your disease is all in your head and they're like really but like i literally am allergic to everything i can eat five things like if i eat it my throat physically closes up and the doctor will be like yeah it's all in your head so in one aspect you know like you're saying it actually is in their head the power of the mind to be able to overcome no i wouldn't say it's in their head well so watch this so when i was going through my own injury mm -hmm. and so why don't you tell people about your injury so that they know? So let's jump into that. What was your injury? Because it was profound. It was it was profound, but let's see. Okay, so I just have to say one thing on this, yeah. though. Okay, people with multiple personality disorder, so where they have, or disassociative identity disorder, whatever you want to call it, but they have multiple personalities, can have different ailments, asthma, allergies, pain, when they're in different personalities. Exactly. And so when we start to look at it for a moment, that's, that's one of the things that I found during my injury. And, and going into it, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a bad injury. And, you know, I see people who have just crazy. There's so many people that are injured. As you know, there are more and more people are getting sick and injured and, and, and dealing with chronic pain and, and illness. It's, it's crazy. And... I found myself somebody somewhere, you know, I, I thought, I, I never saw myself as being somebody who would ever be injured. I mean, I grew up martial arts, um, traveling, doing martial arts, Hall of Fame for martial arts, you know. So to me, I had always been fit. Um, I had an accident, both a car accident and then a fall. And my entire life changed, you know. I just, I went from... Uh, I actually did network engineering at the time of my injury and I, and like I went from working full time to being in bed all of the time um, in extreme amounts of pain um, on morphine every day for about seven years, uh, six, seven years, somewhere in there um, on, on a good day. I could get out using my wheelchair or a walker or cane 
And on a bad day, I didn't make it out of bed and I didn't even want to breathe because I was in so much pain. And, it, you know, despite the fact that I was on all these heavy medications and, um, and that was my life for a lot of years. And so after, you know, I got injured, you just kind of get in this mindset where you're, you know, you're like, I went to the doctor and they're like, well, we can't help you. And so I went on this, okay, well, I'll find another opinion. I'll find a second opinion, a third opinion, a 10th opinion, 20th opinion, you know, then it was like, okay, going to, uh, doctors like where I'd go to the hospital and there would be a team of doctors that would come in the room and then they would leave and evaluate, you know, what's, what could they possibly do with me? Cause I kind of, I grew up, you know, you don't give up on something. So it was just, okay, well, fine. Let me talk to your doctor. Let me, let me, who's the next specialist. And I would literally, um, every time somebody told me there's nothing else they could do for me, I would literally, you know, I would choke back the tears and I would just say, there's gotta be somebody, there's gotta be a referral somewhere, somebody, something. And so I wouldn't leave the office until they gave me some type of referral. Cause you can't just say that there's nothing and oh, there's my, you know, I, this is my life. I didn't have a quality of life. And so, and so I went through that and, you know, I went through nerve ablations and infusions and injections and, and all of these things. And, and, um, and so what eventually happened is, you know, after one after another saying that there's nothing they could do and be, my life became like this waiting game where you like, you know, the next specialist you get to see in three weeks. And so you just like wait with every hope that that's it. And you just became like survival for the three weeks of then hoping that this person could help you or whatnot. And, and, and then years started going by and, and it was like, and I just, I was losing my mind. I would just, and so um, my only hope became that somebody would find some type of cure um, or invent some type of procedure or something and I would get my life back. Now, what so, would the cure have been for? Like, what were they saying was wrong? Besides the chronic pain from the car accident, like, were they, did they diagnose you with something? Did you have multiple things going on? I was given a long list from spinal end plate fractures to uh, CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome, or uh, it's got multiple names. So reflex neurodystrophy um, to uh, spondylosis, uh, nerve ablation, or um, uh, not nerve ablations. Um, oh my God. Uh, spondylosis, spinal end plate fractures, um, all, basically all kinds of things. Uh, sciatica, I mean, I, I, I was a mess. <laughs> whatever the specialty of the specialist, whatever the specialty of the specialist, they were probably diagnosing you with that condition that they could think of that was causing this, I imagine, with seeing that. Many no, no, it was, it was, uh, no, it, it was actually just going from one to another. The only additional diagnosis that I ended up with was eventually I ended up with osteopenia, mm -hmm. um, which is like the first stages, beginning stages of osteoporosis because I wasn't weight bearing enough. Um, then I ended up fracturing my ankle. Um, and so it was, was just kind of like a, it was just, um, and then not only that, but like I'm five, nine, I weigh about 125. Um, I was down to, and I'm a size two. Um, I was down to 93 pounds. So I lost, um, 32 pounds. Um, I was like a size, nothing. Um, my, my, my arms were about the same size as my legs. Um, and it was, I was just withering away, but it was just, you know, hoping because I had, you know, I would lay there and get infusions or, or injections or, you know, it was just like going, um, 
it was just looking for some type of cure, looking in, in different countries. So that's what I started doing was looking at medical journals in different countries and, um, and seeing if there was something. And, and that was my only hope is that somebody would invent something new because when I started looking at um, health and everything, it was like, you look at it, people are getting more sick. It's like, how, how does it, I couldn't understand. How is it that technology can continue to advance? And we, we hear we have the most advanced medical everything. And you look at the numbers yeah. and people are getting more and more and more and more and more sick. And you go, wait a second. It's like, kind of like if you were on a budget with finances and you were going further and further and further in debt, you would say, something's wrong. <laughs> Change change plan but yeah. it's even in the year what like in the year 2000 it was projected that chronic illness would continue to increase for 30 years and it's doing exactly that it's increasing uh here in the united states like if you look at the numbers it's just it's crazy and you go wait a second if everything's advancing and more people are getting sick but we need a different plan. <laughs> we need a left turn out of this area and we need to go find a whole new area to explore. But that is, that is ultimately what you are, you've done, you know, with this. So how did you discover, so how did you go from being in that state and seeing all these specialists? And also if you could just touch on the point, how did you not give up hope in this time? Seven years is a long time to be in this chronic pain. How did you not give up hope? Um, I would say that it wasn't that I didn't give up hope. Um, I just realized at the times when I did give up hope, I was a mess. Mm -hmm. And um, my brain, I went through, actually, that's like, there was this point in time in going through my injury where my brain just kind of started um, on autopilot for exit strategies. Um, like the truck, the, the trash truck would go by uh, and I would literally think, I wonder if I could get my wheelchair to push it in the middle of the street just in time that, you know, and, and I wouldn't think that consciously. It was just like, like all of a sudden that thought would pop into my mind because I'd hear it or somebody would be driving me to the hospital and I would, I would, I used to like lay against the passenger door and I would look at the side mirror and see what the car was in the side going, okay, well, if there's a big rig there, I wonder if I just open the door and fall out, if I could be road pizza and it'd be over. <laughs> and then my mind would go, you'd probably just end up being a vegetable and, and more <laughs> and more messed up. Then, then what? That was probably the thing. But what happened was my thoughts scared me so bad. Like it got to, because I had always been somebody who'd been, you know, what I considered to be happy and, and, you know, and I'd never been depressed, never. And, uh, and it scared me. My thoughts scared <laughs> the ship out of me, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it scared oh, me. I can imagine. And so, um, and, and that was one of the things that made me say, I have to do something. I have to, because I had, I had tried, you know, at this point, because you start reaching out and then I tried like different supplements and I was like, I mean, spending hundreds, hundreds of dollars of supplements every month, diet. I mean, I tried every diet I possibly could find. Um, if they had a diet for my Zodiac sign, I probably would have tried that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but everything that I, I think could they find, do. <laughs> do they? No, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't, if I Googled it right now, I'm sure I can find it. 
Exactly. There, there probably is one. And, um, you know, finally I was like, okay, look, this, yeah, it just, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't working. So, um, and, and what's that? No, go on with that. You said, and, um, through this turn of events, basically, I was just hoping that something new would be discovered. And through this crazy turn of events, basically, like, it was like my very dream got answered. Like, I got a call from one of the hospitals that I've been going to, and they said, you can be a part of this study. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, I'm going to get my life back. And I remember that day. Like, I was counting down to, like, the study. And, and I remember that day going, like, I actually cared what I wore. I felt like I was going to the hospital to get my life back. And so when they wheeled me into the hospital room and they started getting me prepped for the procedure, I was like, oh, my God, like, like I'm going to get my life back. I was just, I was so elated. And uh, and then the doctor, he, he came in, but, you know, he had this look on his face and I knew immediately something something wasn't right. You know, you just had that feeling. And he was like, you know, Miss Gilmore, uh, you can't be a part of this study. We don't expect you to get better. And I, I mean, I, it was like his words, like just like every, I don't know if everything, it just felt like everything silenced. And then I, I, I don't remember leaving the hospital. The next memory I have is I was laying back in my same bed and I didn't even want to open my eyes. I was just like, what's the point, you know? And, uh, what was interesting is, uh, as I was laying there going like, what's the point? I was just, I was thinking back to, you know, up back to the, the procedure and the doctor. And then I remembered leading up into the study, I kept thinking to myself, please don't get the placebo, please don't get the placebo, I want the real treatment. And as I thought about that for a moment, I thought, well, wait a second. If we know that the placebo works, and it works with all kinds of things, not just like things that aren't visible, like it works with incredible things. You can see physical changes in the body from the placebo. I was like, well, wait a second here. If we know that the mind somehow has the ability to affect the physical body, there was still some like ray of hope that I couldn't get better. And if there was hope, I couldn't give up. I had to explore it, you know, and in that moment was just, is changing. That is a really um, profound little piece to hang on to, the placebo piece, like that one word placebo, um, because I think we it's just so taken for granted in the medical world and the science world because, you know, our randomized controlled trials, especially the double blind, they're all tested against a placebo. And what a lot of people don't know is that the majority of well, a good majority of studies are shut down when the placebo starts to work better than the actual drug or surgery or treatment. So I just think it's so fascinating because you remind me so much of Dr. Lisa Rankin in her book, Mind Over Medicine, you know, where she would prescribe all these drugs to her patients and then she'd later learn that they never took them, but they got better. And she was like, well, how did that happen? And they would say, say things like, well, I changed my mindset or I you know, changed an aspect of my life that wasn't working for me, whether it was a relationship or career. And then all of a sudden my disease, like a fully diagnosed physical like disease and illness and injury would just magically get better, spontaneous remission. And that book was so interesting, but she's about one of the few doctors that I've met that have like, well, she was like, okay, that's awesome. Spontaneous remission, super fascinating. But what the hell about the placebo? 
Like, how come nobody's studying the placebo? <laughs> exactly. And by the way, Lisa is actually a friend of mine, Lisa Rankin. Oh, she and is. I just messaged with her, but yesterday. But uh, absolutely. And if you look at my TED talk on one of the one of the comments on it, one of the very first comments, because she came to my TED talk, she was like, "Oh my God, I gotta watch this," which was sweet because if if you've uh, it was funny because she came to my TED talk and. I started out my TEDx talk sitting in a wheelchair again. And so she was sitting outside with me before the TED talk in the green room and stuff like that. Cause she, you know, she's done a TED talk. So, but it was, it, it was fun. And, and she actually, you'll notice if you look at the comments on my TED talk, she's like, I've been watching Brandy's work for the last two years and watching her simply talk to people to release their pain. You'll see that comment. Oh, <laughs> that com- yeah. I love that. We actually want to get uh, Dr. Lisa Rankin on the podcast as well to really dive into just like full podcast on nocebo and placebo because it's just so incredible. And here you... Go ahead. Yeah. So this is a part where I'm like, so for you, this is what's so just beautiful for me is that here you are laying in a bed, like you've been told, like you can't even be part of the only potential study that might be able to help you right now. And you go back home you're in this doom and gloom state, like almost like all hope is lost. And you're like, but wait, there's hope. There's the placebo. (laughs) I love it. So, so what happens at that point then? Like, so you're laying there and you have this grain of the sand grain of hope. And what do you do? Well, if there was hope, you can't give up if there's hope. Like it's like, if there's hope, if there's a possible way, how can you ever give up? Right. And so um, so that was key, but just uh, an interesting note on the placebo, because I totally agree with you on that. What's interesting is that if you look at it, the placebo has been tested to work more than anything in history because every single medication, every procedure has been tested against a placebo and you can see consistent results. The other thing is, is that a lot of people think that the placebo works because people believe it'll work, Right except for open-label placebo has been shown to work. Yes. You're familiar with the open-label placebo, right? Where both the doctor and the patient know it's a fake pill. Yeah. And it's, so it's not like people go, oh, well, somebody just believed because somebody thought that it was going to work. It actually can even work even with open-label, which, was, which is interesting. And I didn't know that at the time because <laughs> at that point in time, I thought, okay, well, I have to believe that I'm already better. Yeah. Like, as you hear things like mind over matter, which I don't subscribe to or believing you're already better. I don't subscribe to that either. Uh, but you hear things like that. And so uh, that's what I was, I was like, okay, well, I, I tried to convince myself for like the next year and a half, probably maybe even like probably longer that I was already healed. And uh, that's really hard to do when you're yeah. in a lot of <laughs> But, you know, if you think about it, like I'm somebody who's, like when you think about the mindset it takes to be a high achieving athlete or different things like when you focus your mind to something, you do it. And so, I mean, I got to the point where I like had multiple realities, but the problem is in both realities, I was still in pain and I wasn't healed, <laughs> but, but I was trying. And so that's what made me go, okay, wait a second. I need to understand how this works. Like if I'm going to, understand because we know spontaneous remission or even um you know placebo we know it can work i was like you know if i'm gonna understand how to do this and if i'm actually going to effectively implement this 
I got to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that dove into a whole bunch of research of the mind. So did you start this then while you're still in chronic pain, while you're trying to convince yourself that you're not in chronic pain over this year and a half? And did you start doing research then? Absolutely. I was doing research and not only was I trying to like um, tell myself I was already healed, but I was also um, visualizing every day. So I was visualizing every day and I, and it wasn't working. So then I felt like my visualizer was broken. Um, So then I was looking at like an anatomy book and seeing like the nervous system and the body all perfect. And then I would close my eyes and picture that was me. And I did that over and over to like, you know, when you like, stare at something and then it becomes like burned in your brain (laughs) that's what I was doing because I was like okay this visualizing thing is not working (laughs) and then so I tried that that didn't work either um but yeah that's what I started uh really researching the mind and then starting started uh coming up with uh, you know really when you when you start to simplify it it all kind of sounds stupid (laughs) 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 but you know like so this is the part where i'm like i just cannot even imagine being in that position that you were in because and any one of us can find us in that position i recently just had a client uh, or not a client actually she's one of our students who went through our nutrition and detox training program she had been in chronic pain like needing consistent care every single week, like massages and sleeping on biomats and taking supplements and medications and pain meds and like literally everything just to be able to survive a day or survive a week. And since 1996, she had two car accidents back to back in 1996. So she did our program. She turned to food because that's what we teach and obviously stress management and, you know, stress release and all of that, but nothing to the extent of like, I don't even know yet what it is that you do, Randy, but we're going to get to that because I want people to understand, you know, but within two weeks, she was off all pain meds and everything. Now, would it stay that way if she were to change her diet and go back to eating processed foods and, you know, and not sleeping well and all of that? Probably, like, probably not, but, you know, to see results that fast. So that's like, we know the body is so quick at healing, but I cannot imagine, you know, what it would be like, you know, cause at least in her state, she was still able to like take her kid to school and to do all of that where, I mean, that you're, you were like in a wheelchair getting yourself from place to pace or using a walker. So I don't even know where you get the energy and strength from to research in that point. Like, and I know you say it's hope and you are obviously a warrior definitely. Um, and there's something about your personality that allowed you to do that. But like, how did you even muster the energy to do that? And to question something that is so far out there now, like you're trying something that is so radical, um, you know, not taught to us in school, not taught to medical professionals. Like how did you, how, where did that come from, that energy? I would say a few things. I would say that um, first and foremost, sleeping was hard. Um, so when you can't sleep, and then for probably for the first couple years of my injury, I would try to distract myself by watching TV. But after a while, I would watch TV and cry because everybody was doing things and I couldn't live my life. And so then it didn't become a distraction. It became the reminder of everything that I was missing out on. So then you just, and you just go, okay, like, wait a second here. What? Like, and so, and not only that, but I I grew up with the belief, you know, like, like 
if you want something done, sometimes you have to just do it yourself. And so there was that. The other thing is, is that I did network engineering and operations prior to my injury. Mm. And I worked for like major telecommunications companies, large, uh, large organizations. And one of the things that I was known for was figuring out problems when like other people wouldn't be able to figure it out. It'd be like, go to a uh, solution area. And then we had what was called second level when you really couldn't figure it out. Um, and then a lot of times they would give things to me and be like, look, nobody can figure this out. I'd be like, oh, okay. And I would figure it out. So there was this, <laughs> so that, that's what I had done. Even in my pri- previous uh, career, in my career with that, I had wrote a manual at each location I was at because I had figured something out else out that people couldn't do. And it's like, okay, look, here's, here's how to do this. And so, uh, and so to me, it was, it was almost like when I decided to go, okay, look, I've got to figure out the answer. Then it was also going, okay, well, I, I would, I was like, how am I ever going to figure this out? You know? And then I remember like, how many times have you heard before people say, we know very little about the brain? All the time. Yeah. We, and apparently we know very little about the brain, like what, 2%? <laughs> three percent or something but I don't know how true that is though you know because I sometimes wonder if we just don't know because we aren't asking the right questions and you know and if we could know so much more about the brain simply just by asking a few different questions and looking at it from a different angle which is the angle you are clearly looking at it from yeah and again it's gonna sound really stupid when I tell you (laughs) and by the way I'll tell you how food why food is also important like you said at the beginning why we make a good like uh, match you know there's there's how food can also help the mindset and it's so I think that it's all in in my you know um, why I think you know nutrition is important also but um, basically if we look at it very very simply so one of the things that I, one of the reasons I was so good at troubleshooting in my career is because I would break things down to where they were really, really ridiculously simple. And then I would build on. And so even with the mind, I was like, okay, well, wait a second. Let me just make it simple. Okay, first and foremost, placebo. So we know it works. So I know that there's an answer. Somehow the mind has the ability. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I, I like I had an accident. Like, how is my mind gonna heal my physical? And I have physical issues going on. Like, how is my mind gonna heal my physical body? And then I was like, oh yeah, the body's not physical. We learned in fourth grade, fifth grade, everything's made up of atoms and <laughs> electrons and you know neutrons, protons. Like, the body, like everything is made up of atoms. So I was like, okay, well wait a second. So I started like studying the atoms of the body and different things like that because. You know, if you're breaking, so like if you're if you're fixing something, like say if somebody's computer breaks, you wouldn't look at it and say it's broken. I can't fix it. You what do you do? You look at a smaller amount. Like you kind of break it apart. You go, okay, well, what are cells made of? Everything's made of atoms. And so I kind of started looking at that level, which sounds a bit complex because I also looked at the complex, but I also looked at the simple. But very simply. I thought, okay, how is it the mind can affect the physical body? Well, the physical body's not so physical, so that's one way. And then I also looked at it and said, well, wait a second. If we know that the body is constantly repairing and replacing cells, like red blood cells and, and you know, white blood cells and the immune system, I mean, when we started to look at it for a moment, the immune system's constantly repairing and replacing itself. And, and, and I was like, well, wait a second. I need to start, like, of course, 
the body is, you know, the mind, basically what I looked at is this. You've heard before that we have like an entirely new skeleton in about 10 years, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, well, wait a second. How is it possible for somebody to have an injury 30 or 40 years ago, that old football injury that comes back as their body's constantly repairing and replacing cells? I was like, well, wait a second. And so with that, so sort of questioning things and also going, okay, well, the mind can obviously affect the physical body because the physical body isn't as physical as we always perceive it. And then I started looking at amputees and I was a little jaded at the time because I was like, well, wait a second, somebody can have, be an amputee and there's an 80% chance that they'll still experiencing pain, that they'll yeah. still experience pain. And it was like, and, you know, being a little bit frustrated at the time, I was like, great. So there's an 80% chance I could amputate my body and I'm still going to experience pain. Great. <laughs> and then I got back to being resourceful. I was like, okay, so what does this mean? And so that's when I started looking at things like the somatosensory cortex and the spinal thalamic pathway, like just looking at nociceptors, how pain works and all of these things. So it made me look at that part of it. And that might sound technical, you know, being... Uh, being in, you know, former network engineer operations, I, I look at the technical and then I also look at just the simple and going, okay, well, if somebody doesn't have a body part and they still have pain, then like, as you mentioned, where people say, oh, it's all in their mind, you know, um, if 80% of amputees or over 80% can still experience pain, then people who are walking around experiencing pain and then somebody says, oh, it's all in your head. And they degrade, say it in a degrading way. It's like, well, wait a second here. Would you say that to an amputee? You know, they recognize phantom pain. It's like, oh, so if I was missing a limb and experiencing pain, then it would be real. But you, you know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. And just for people who are listening, who are like, holy smokes. Like, uh, you know, first of all, a lot of people do not know how the body works. They don't even know that they're made up of atoms and molecules and protons and electrons. And, you know, so when Brandy's talking about the whole body being brand new in 10 years and less than 10 years, well, we know that like, I think it's like 90, like 8% of the body is actually brand new in about um, 18 months. So like a red blood cell, it lives for 120 days. So when your body creates a red blood cell right now in this moment, in 128 days from now, that red blood cell will die. It'll be eaten up by the body. It will no longer be. So, you know, what we're saying is that what you experience now in this physical, like you think it's like a rock, a hard body, like you can touch it and, you know, you think you can feel it, is that it's constantly changing and evolving. It's like this big blob that is constantly dying and being born new. And eventually nothing that's here today, like with the Brandy that's in this podcast and the Nicolette that's in this podcast doing the interview will not be here in 10 years from now is what we're saying. Cause none of those cells will exist. The other part too, that I'll just jump in and say that we've just discovered is that also a large portion of our body is not even our human DNA. It's actually made up of the DNA of um, like something that some people say four quadrillion, 40 quadrillion um, bacteria and parasites and fungi. So it's not even us, it's other. So often when I'm looking at my body now, I look at it and I'm like, well, what is this that I'm looking at? Are these my hands? No, this is partially my DNA, but really the DNA of all this bacteria. And so what we think of as being physical, like we're just this blob moving through space, like these atoms. And I think that's a lot for people to take in for sure. 
Um, but you can see this in the science. It's not stuff we're making up here. Like this is what we know today about the human body is that we are just made up of these you know, atoms that are moving about and most of them don't even touch. Like they just kind of bump off of each other and move over here. And so even then we're like even less physical than we actually, and less solid than we actually think we are. Yeah. And I think an easy way to kind of think about that is if we look at water, we know water is H2O. Yeah. We've all heard before the body's about 60% water. And so when we start to look at it in that way, or even if somebody looks at Wikipedia and you go, oh, body's carbon and it's also hydrogen and oxygen. Okay, it's just made up of element, like just like water. Um, you know, you simplify and you just go, okay. And again, if you think back to, to elementary school or middle school, when we learn that everything's made of atoms and molecules, it's, you start to look at it and, and um, and, and it does, it feels a bit complex. So staying with the simple, <laughs> staying in the simple, when I looked at it is I thought, okay, like a simple way that the mind affects the body is we can see, we know that if somebody's embarrassed, their face turns red. We know that if somebody has anxiety, they can have an anxiety attack, racing heart, shortness of breath. We know that if somebody has a sexual thought, they can have a sexual physical response and it's different for each gender. So men have one compared to women, but we have a physical response or somebody can have a nervous stomach or butterflies in their stomach. And so when we look at it for a moment, we know that emotions can affect the physical body. And so that's what I was looking at. So I was looking at the placebo and then amputees and then multiple personality disorder where different personalities like asthma or allergies or body temperature or pain in, in different personalities. I was like, well, wait a second here. And so looking at that again, it all went to the mind. And then also knowing that the body's constantly repairing and replacing cells, I again started looking at the mind. And so keeping it simple, I looked at emotions and I looked at these basic, simple emotions. And I thought, yeah, we know this, you know? And I thought, well, how much can emotions really affect the physical body? Well, there's scared to death. That it's a real thing. Somebody can be scared and their heart stops. There's bored to death. People can buy, die from boredom. <laughs> and bored to death, it's a real thing. Who th like I always thought, oh, I'm bored to death. It was just a thing. No, it's a real thing. Or even infants that don't get enough love can actually die. And so that's called, you know, failure to thrive or seniors who lose a spouse have a much higher rate of death following their loss called the widowhood effect. Or on a positive note, seniors with pets can live longer. And so I started looking at this and I go, well, how much can emotions really affect the physical body? Well, to the point of death. And I thought, okay, well, we can die from boredom or scared or embarrassed face turns, dread, anxiety attacks, sexual thought okay, we can see that. What about the rest of the emotions? What are they doing? What is hurt doing? What is sadness doing? What is loneliness doing? By the way, loneliness has now recently been more connected to type 2 diabetes. Okay, so there's research actually showing that. And it's like, okay, well, wait a second. What about feelings of rejection or hurt or guilt or what are those doing to our body? Do we think that, yeah, boredom can kill us, lack of love or, or embarrassment, if even embarrassment and boredom can affect us or scared to death or anxiety attack or 
sexual thought, does it really make sense that these eight emotions affect us and all of the rest of them? They don't do anything. Mm. That doesn't make sense. And so what I began doing is I began saying, okay, well, what emotions could be affecting my physical body? Because I started looking at it going, okay, well, a few things. First and foremost, that we know that emotions can be stored up in the physical or in the subconscious mind, which is the reason that we can all think back to how we felt when we were five years old or 10 years old or think back to high school or think back, we can hear our wedding song or, or think back to a uh, song we used to listen to in high school and know all the words and, and think about what we were doing with our friends and, and all of those things because all of that's stored up. And so I thought, what, what about the negative emotions that are stored? How are those affecting the body? So uh, that led to a whole other <laughs> research, more research. Now, where, did you already have your PhD at this point or did you get your PhD after this? After this. Okay, so here you are, chronic pain, you start doing all this research, you start asking like really important questions, right? Like how do all the other emotions um, affect us uh, physically um, or manifest in physical way? How do all those emotions that we've experienced our whole entire life, like where are they stored and what are they doing to our body? So then what do you do at this point? Like, like where, where does this lead you um, to be able to heal yourself? Because I'm just like, I'm still so curious about where that like, there must've been a paradigm shift where you were able to actually be able to teach yourself something and do something like I'm so fascinated by this leap that you're just about to make now in this discovery. There, there was. And at the same point, I thought this is stupid. If, if this was really the case, wouldn't we have figured this out? And then I, and then Einstein's word kept coming back, you know, when basically, uh, you know, we have to look at things from a new level of consciousness. Basically, you cannot solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. And so when I started to look at it, if you ask any medical doctor, does stress affect the body? They would say, yes. What is stress? Negative emotions. Where is that in our medical system? Oh, it's not. Exactly. So we can die from emotions. We can die from boredom. We can die from the stress. We can die from all these things. And then, and we know this, and you know stress affects our body, and it's not part of the medical system. So I went from feeling like, how stupid is this that it could be emotions, to how stupid is it that we don't have this anywhere in our medical system? And yet, like even if we look at uh, psychoneuroimmunology, so psychoneuroimmunology, psycho mind, neuro nervous system, immunology, immune system. Back in the 70s, it was proven that stress affects the white blood cells, which is the immune system. That was proven in the 70s. And so we've probably all heard that, but if you think about it, why are we not doing anything about it? And so, so I thought, well, does this really make sense? I mean, emotions, like it's, it's makes sense, but it just seems too simple. And then I thought, well, stress affects the body. We know that. Okay. So with all of these things that are incurable, what would happen if we identified the specific stress and changed it. It's kind of like this, like if you look at 
somebody who's embarrassed, their face turns red. Or anxiety attack, it's from anxiety. We know that it's a specific emotion. So just like if somebody has a sexual thought, they don't have an anxiety attack, that's a different emotion. Yeah, exactly. And if that was the case, procreation would be really hard. So hard. (laughs) (laughs) People's hearts would just stop every time they got horny. (laughs) (laughs) Or can you imagine every time you're embarrassed, you get an erection? Oh my gosh. I mean, how would that even work? And not only that, you'd be like, yeah, we were going to conceive last night, but instead it was an anxiety attack. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Which which happens for some people when one person doesn't want to have a baby and the other person does. And I've seen this happen with, um, I can't mention who they are. I won't even mention if they were friends or not, but a couple that I do know, they could not conceive for 10 years could not conceive, could not conceive. Then they got divorced and they both conceived with the very next partner that they were with. (laughs) And the doctors couldn't explain it. They were like, what? But of course their relationship wasn't well that whole time. There was stress, there was anxiety, there was probably a lot of lack of love. There was wishing for the other, you know, to to be somebody different. Um, and, you know, and so they conceived immediately. And I can tell you, like having taught prenatal um, yoga for years and postnatal and seeing all of these women have babies, like once the stress was gone, it was amazing how the reproductive system just kicked in and they were able to conceive babies. And so, you know, I've seen it on that level. Um, and to the point where I've seen doctors even give up to be like, I can't take your money anymore. Like, I'm not going to do in vitro one more time. Like, it's not going to work. You just need to quit your job and go travel around the world with your partner and then just go have fun. Like, you guys have been through so much stress, not getting pregnant. And sure enough, they do that. And then three babies later, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And there are people that I've worked with who uh, couldn't conceive and I helped them to shift their mindset. And um, like even one woman that I worked with, it was, it was so funny because, I mean, not the beginning part of the story, but uh, she had five years had been trying, been trying, been trying, uh, had initially a lot of miscarriages, and then, um, and then she just couldn't conceive at all. And so she ended up getting referred to me, and I worked with her, and I shifted her mind, and I said, okay, I want you to wait just to make sure, because whenever I show somebody to shift something, I want to make sure that they keep their mind in the same, uh, in the same mindset to really um, embrace the change. And uh, she reached out to me like a month later and was like, by the way, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and, but what was, what was funny about it, what was really great about it is that uh, like, I don't know, maybe six weeks later, two months later, something like that, uh, she had a lot of nausea, she had headaches and she couldn't sleep. And so when she reached out, she was like, yeah, I'm experiencing this. And I said, okay, well, we can go ahead and, and change those and change that, you know, we'll just work with your mind. And she was like, um, I'd like to sleep. That would be great. I'd like to get rid of the headaches, but I'd like to keep the nausea just because it reminds me that I'm still pregnant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. And, and so it was, it was so perfect because it was a perfect example of how different emotions affect the body differently. So we did exactly that. We worked with the headaches. And so she had a headache at the time. We shifted that and also got her shifted the mindset for sleeping. And she did that. And then, uh, and she kept the nausea (laughs) and and she was happy with it. And she, oh my God, he's the cutest little boy. 
so cute. He's like three years old now, two or three. He's just, he's precious. He's precious. So, um, but it's truly amazing what we're capable of. And one of the things that I love is, you know, I'll show people how to release pain in, in minutes using their mind. Because what I do is I target that specific emotion and I help them to shift it. And, and so that's what I do, whether it's somebody being, you know, dealing with paralysis or uh, whatever it is, that's what I do is I help them to find the specific emotion. And typically speaking is it's not just one emotion, it's mixed with a few others. So in other words, with the same engineering mindset, I could look at it and I could say, okay, emotions affect the body. We can see that done, like obvious. Okay, but I could also see situations where people could have emotions and it didn't affect the body. Mm. Somebody can be very stressed or we can even look at the top stressful uh, careers and we'd say, well, if that was true, that it was just stress, anybody who's retired would be healthy and happy and anybody who's got a stressful job would be really, really sick and they'd never make it. And then we would see that black and white and it's not like that. And so what I began to realize is that it wasn't just one emotion. It was basically what I call the PSE, the primary symptom emotion, which is like the emotion that creates the physical symptoms of sexual thought or, or embarrassed face turns red or anxiety attack. There's that primary emotion, but then it's mixed with a few other things in the subconscious mind mm -hmm. that that's when it shows up in the body. And so uh, the, the easiest way to think of it would be, you know, if somebody's, um, or if you have flour, you can't make cake. But if you have flour and you mix it with a couple other ingredients, you can make cake. And so it's those, it's that mixture. Now, what I love about what you do um, is that is that let's be honest, like when we look at it, serotonin. So what is it? Eight, what is it? Ninety something percent of serotonin is created in the gut. Exactly. And so when you start to ignore, not only that, but if you take somebody, even myself, and you don't give them food for a long period of time, I tend to get a little <laughs> less, less pleasant. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you that way? I can go a long time without eating, surprisingly, like I, or drinking. It's really, it's actually a problem because then I'll sort of like get to this place where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten since, you know, early this morning and now it's late at night. And I'm like, I probably should have nourished my body, but I don't hit a wall like my husband does. Who's like a few hours of not eating. He might get a little bit shaky. So for him, he's also, you know, very thin and very active and he can go, go, go. So he really needs those nutrients. I'm pretty much the opposite of him. So I do know, like I have one daughter who hundred percent needs food every three hours and my other daughter who seems to live off air. So, you know, we're a bit different on that, but she yes. can hit a wall and get angry though. Like she'll get angry if she doesn't eat after a few hours for sure too. So not shaky, but it's different. It shows up more in an emotion in one and more in a physical like um, manifestation. Like, oh my God, her body is like, is not getting dopamine and serotonin and nutrients and vitamin C, like give her food right now. So, <laughs> so, so we, we can see that um, for a lot of us, a lot of people, not everybody, but um, you can start to get agitated if you don't have the right nutrients. And not only that, but I've seen even people, a lot of times if they're missing nutrients, they don't realize that they're feeling more irritable. 
And so what will happen is that as they start eating a complete, like a better diet, they feel happier. Oh yeah. And they're like, and so to me, what I see is it's the, the, like if somebody's missing water, a lot of people don't realize that it can create um, less concentration. So like your concentration on how well we can concentrate on something when we're dehydrated, it goes down, but most people don't realize that. Yeah. And so what happens is they just think that that's their normal way of being. And so if somebody's normally lacking nutrients or normally lacking water, you know, and they're usually dehydrated or different things like that, they can walk around and be irritable all of the time and they don't realize that they are because that's just, they think that that's just their norm. And so, um, and so that's, that's one of the places that I love food is it, it can help somebody stay happier. Oh, it can help a lot them of think. Yeah, it helps them think clearly. It helps them sleep better. It helps them, you know, be able to respond and not enter the fight or flight and helps them be less moody, all of those things. And, you know, I don't know why we stop treating ourselves the way we would treat our kids when our kids and our toddlers and, you know, our five and six-year-olds start melting down. Like they're melting down because they don't have enough vitality and it's either because they're tired or they need water or they need food, or they need love. Like it's really, you know, so simple, right? Like it's four basic things, or like in case so of- what you're saying is the solution is not lock them in the closet. Don't lock them in the closet when your kids start melting down. Like just, and so we got in the habit of asking, I learned this from a friend of mine, just to be like, hey, do you think you need water, food, attention, um, or sleep right now? And just let the kids tell us, like, you know, I'm starving. But nobody ever says I'm starving or I'm dehydrated or I'm tired. You know, we don't do that. But I think if we slow down and just ask ourselves that, we could probably solve so many of our problems just by meeting those four basic needs. Um, and, and it's amazing how we just forget to do that to ourselves as adults, but we think it only applies to kids. But we're really human beings, you know, just trying to make it all work. Um, yeah. And one of the things, okay. So when I saw you at the, um, well, when I met you at my house and then when I, sh you were speaking at the screening of on a scale of one to 10, like here you are in these beautiful high heels, awesome suit, your arms are waving around, you're walking back and forth. Like you are not that woman who is in that wheelchair and who was in that chronic pain. So where did, like, how did you get from that to being the vibrant, you know, life, you're life-giving because you are giving people their life, like life-giving human that you are today. Like, how did that transition take place and what did that look like? You know, this is, this is what's incredible is that, you know, when you, when you reprogram your mind, basically, like for me, going through that for seven years of my life, uh, that's a lot and a, a lot of years. And you start to, it's, how do I put it? It's um, very simply, if you let go of a stress or emotions or things in your mind that have been weighing you down, even if you don't realize it, because a lot of this stuff is all subconscious. Mm -hmm. When you do that, it's life-changing. And so um, even you know, prior to my injury and prior to the accident or anything like that, I've always been a very, very strong person. So anything could happen and I could put a smile on my face and just plow through it. Like, uh, okay, need to walk on glass, great. I'll do it with a smile on my face. 
and, and that that's always and nobody would ever know that it bothered me because and that's what I thought strong was mm-hmm. what I didn't realize is that 90 to 95 percent of our brain is run by our subconscious mind and so here's my little five to ten percent thinking okay well I can be strong I can I can go through anything it doesn't matter blah 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 because that was my definition of strong bury it like oh emotion I don't care like whatever doesn't bother me I didn't realize that it was all going into my subconscious mind or my subconscious closet and so um, I, I would have never even thought that the things that were affecting me would have been bothering me. I would have never, I, I would have thought like, that doesn't bother me. And yet they were. <laughs> so how do you uncover that? Because I know like everybody, you know, who's probably going to be listening to this podcast most likely has also been introduced to Gabor Mate's work, you know, where everything comes back to trauma, whether in this life or another life, um, you know, a lot of people are aware that, you know, some people are aware of how much their emotions can affect their health, but it seems we're in a place now where everybody's like, oh yeah, it's my trauma, it's my trauma, but when it's subconscious and we don't remember it, I sometimes wonder how often, like, do we need to know the exact moment of trauma, the exact moment in our subconscious, like how do we, un- how do we dig that up and do we put a lot of meaning onto it or, and do we have to go backwards first into our, you know, the time when that, you know, subconscious um, creation was then put in like, so whatever it was that happened in our life, whether it was emotional, physical, spiritual, or physical, you know, incident in our life that caused that, which then contributed to the emotion. But like, that's the part that I'm curious about too, or can we start from today recognize that there is something there in our subconscious and then move forward and then are we creating this new life that we want based on like I know you said visualization wasn't the answer necessarily um like how do we how do we deal with that and especially because I think there's a lot of practitioners are out there that are like you know they'll do I've been to them they'll do muscle testing and they'll be like what happened when you were 13 in the fall it had something to do with, you know, school or blah, 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 or tall, dark man. And I'm like racking my brain being like, did something happen? Um, you know, and I know there's a lot of practitioners out there that work that way. Um, and I'm just so curious about how all of this, like, how does it come together? Like either in your work or with the science behind it, or, you know, what, what do, when can people take away from this? I would say the biggest thing that people need to realize because people are doing, they're going to the trauma, which a lot of times they do not send people directly to the trauma. Uh, they're going to the trauma or they're meditating or they're doing all these things. And I literally spent years meditating. My, my house sounded like an ashram. Um, <laughs> it did, like, there was always like some type of healing music on or something. Cause I was like, it doesn't matter. Whatever can possibly heal me. Let's just throw everything at it. I just need to get better. I don't care. Okay. I would say the biggest thing is this is there needs to be an emotional shift. So I'm not a big fan of meditation, um, not silent meditation, uh, just because a lot of times it's not, like it didn't work for me, even if you look at Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was said to you know have meditated, pescatarian, um, and uh, was meditating, engaged in magical thinking. I see people who say, okay, well, I'm just going to believe I'm already healed or mind over matter. Um, I tried all those things. They didn't work. And we can look at people like 
you know, Steve Jobs or different people, we can, we can see that um, there are like, we can see, basically we can see that people can get results with certain things. And to me, I'm very much like how to get results. Let me zero in on that. Let me create change consistently. Uh, so even when I show people how to release their pain in minutes, like I zero in on it and then show them how to shift it. And because I want them to specifically see it to me, um, I would say whatever people use, the emotional shift has to take place. Now, sometimes what happens is that a lot of people will say, oh, it can't possibly be my stress. And what happens is this, is the best way to describe it is like a turtleneck. And maybe the first time you wear a turtleneck, you're going, oh my God, I feel like I'm being choked. Or maybe for men, it's a necktie and they feel like that. And then after a while, you have a, you get used to it. You it, you know, or maybe even the first time you wear, wear a bra or something at first, it's like, Oh my God, this feels awkward. And then you just, now you, you just get used to it. And it's part of your everyday attire. And so, um, and so what happens is a lot of times emotions, they can be so close to us. We don't realize they're there mm -hmm. or not only that, but we can have emotions that come up. And what do we do? We go, oh my God, that's ridiculous. I know better than that. So you like, you discount it. You go, oh my God, like that couldn't possibly be. Or in my situation, I was like, I had an accident. It can't be emotions. That's just ridiculous that it could possibly heal my body by shifting emotions. Um, and obviously what I came to find out is that everything happens for a reason. Yeah. But the biggest thing is, is it's kind of like this, is that I would say targeting the specific emotion is key. So if somebody's having an anxiety attack and they go, I'm going to work on some feelings of rejection when I was three. Well, why don't you work on anxiety first? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So to me, it's about like, let's get results. Yes, it would be great to work on those feelings of hurt when you were three or five or whatever, but let's shift the emotion now. What is going to create this shift now? Um, a lot of times, for me, meditation, it, it takes too long. Not only that, but this is the other thing. Would you agree that most people bury their emotions? Oh, and I don't even know if it's burying it as, other than it is almost like you've learned that when you have that emotion, you do something with it. So it's like, you know, it's this, and you probably learned it from your parents or society that if you like for little boys, we tell them when they get hurt, don't cry, you know? And so now for them, it's just like, oh, if I'm hurt or crying, then I should just stop. And so, you know, they have this, like they're programmed to do it. And so it, like when you say burying it, I don't even know if it's a conscious decision to be like, oh, you know, I shouldn't do that. Whereas now it's like literally that subconscious reaction. And it's like that broken record that just keeps playing and keeps playing that you're not even aware that the record is broken. Right. Exactly. Or, I mean, how many times have you ever heard somebody say, are you mad? And somebody else is like, no, I'm not mad. Yeah, totally. Oh, so you're not mad. Nope. I'm not mad. Yeah. Okay. So we work on it or we feel terrible and we know we have to go like to work or pick up the kids or go to wherever and you go, okay, I feel off, but I just, I have to ignore this and I just have to do what I'm doing. And it, so it's not necessarily, I'm going to bury this as a conscious thought, but it's, Hey, I'm too busy. I can't process this emotion and let me just go do something else. Or I'm feeling hurt. Can I just, I mean, there's retail therapy. <laughs> yeah, totally. People have, Oh, I'm stressed. Let me have a drink. Or, you know, there's a lot of different ways 
to, to bury emotions. And so to me, what happens is this is when, is a lot of times if people like when people are meditating and they're just trying to do like a silent type of meditation, what they're doing is they're whatever's bothering them, whatever's stressing them out, they might go, okay, well, let me just, just going to ignore any thought comes to mind. I'm just going to ignore it. Any thought comes to mind, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to let it go. Oh, stressed about this? Let me let it go. Stressed about this? Let it go. Where are their stresses coming from? The subconscious mind. And so essentially they're training their brain to get better at ignoring mm. what the stresses are instead of actually facing them and changing them and shifting the emotion towards it. So instead the brain says, yeah, I'm stressed about this, but don't worry, I'm blissing out, I'm ignoring it. And so what happens is it can still be there. But of course, there's the way I look at meditation is like silent meditation is kind of like uh, broccoli dipped in sugar. So there's some really, really great things in it and it's dipped in sugar. So in other words, like if somebody was doing like a meditation where it's like a walk in nature and or, or like listening to music and taking in a feeling of relaxation or taking in a feeling of joy or taking in a feeling of love, awesome. They're not training their brain to ignore a stress. They're instead saying, let me take this in. Let me take in positivity. Let me take in a feeling of joy or whatever that is. So they're adding positive feelings in. That's completely different than training the brain to ignore what's in the subconscious mind. Because everything I teach is, is that when we change our brain, we change our health, we change our life. And even if we look at neuroscience or we look at psychology, like we've probably heard before where maybe somebody grows up and they have, or maybe somebody has an abusive father and then they grow up and they find an abusive man or yes. husband, boss, or, you know, that pattern is there. Um, or we can look at metaphysics or quantum physics and we can see that our thoughts or even Einstein, because imagination is the preview of life's coming attraction. We can look at all of this and see that our thoughts help create our life, whether we're looking at psychology or uh, neuroscience, we can see our patterns. Like even they talk about uh, buying. Most of the things people buy is an emotional buy based on their subconscious. Oh, with the music that they play while you're shopping. They, I mean, we know in, um, in liquor stores that if they want to sell the German wine, if they just play German music, they'll sell more German wine. Or if they play Italian music, They'll sell more Italian wine or even just in our restaurants. One of the tricks we use is we just say, Katie loves this dish. Who the hell's Katie? And what's her opinion on food? But if we put on our board our the special of the day, if we want to sell more, you know, delicious chili that day, we'll be like, Katie loves the chili. And people will be like, oh, Katie loves it. You know, like it's all emotional. Which right? is awesome that you're not selling them on alcohol and you're selling them on something that's so good for them. So good for them. Because you have to sell people, like, like, like even when lifting people sell. Look, I have to sell them on, hey, look, as you get rid of stress and you make yourself happier, your life is going to be better. Can you do that? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. It's like when you think about it, even you look at uh, depression rates. I mean, suicide rates are crazy here in the U.S. I mean, just going up and up. So I, I love that you're saying Katie loves this dish. Um, Katie loves to be healthy and happy. You should too. You know? 
<laughs> and the marketers know this as well. Like when, you know, marketers are developing marketing for supplements, marketing for food products, marketing for, you know, I mean, anything, it could be a, a retreat or a vacation. They're all playing to your emotions. They're not playing to your logic and your reasoning. Cause then it would be like, don't take this vacation. It's actually too expensive and you're not going to get anything out of it. Like, you know, they're playing, like they're playing to your emotion, right? Like, you know, we know you need to relax and have fun. And so come with us. And so, you know, we tap into that and, and it's amazing how in the medical world, you know, that how it's been emotions have been so discounted out of everything that they do like where it's become all about logic and reasoning and science you know which even though the science proves in the marketing realm how much emotion plays into it or into almost any other one learning even in education we know that the environment of our learning establishments like the color of the walls the texture of the textbooks we know that the smell of like certain things or playing music before learning math will actually allow you to learn math concepts even better so we apply this in every other realm but in medicine and in chronic disease management like it's incredible yeah absolutely and even to that point um at harvard there are actually research studies that show that emotional vitality so happiness basically being positive emotionally can reduce coronary heart disease by over 50 percent that's now, the reason that's really big is that coronary heart disease is the number one cause of death in the u.s and around the world mm-hmm. and so if you think about it and you go wait a second emotional vitality can reduce coronary heart disease by over 50 percent so you're saying that the number one cause of death can be reduced by over 50 percent we're not doing it <laughs> That's so crazy. I know I saw this. Um, uh, I think her name's Kelly McGonigal. She's got a TED talk as well where she really talks about how um, emotion impacts our health. And, you know, she said there were some studies, I can't remember which university, but studies that showed that if married couples believe that arguing was actually healthy for a relationship, they essentially could reduce their heart disease or not have as much heart disease as the you know groups that thought that fighting was actually bad for a relationship. So just by your perception of whether um, arguing was healthy or not healthy had an effect on your health or outcome from a coronary perspective, which I thought was kind of interesting, which of course we have to look at how the study's designed, but you know, it's- The other thing I would wonder is if it was the fact that if they argued, like when the ones who didn't argue, were they also suppressing and holding in the air emotions? Whereas well, exactly. other ones who were arguing, even though arguing can be unhealthy, it can also be expressing things and letting go and then they're done. And maybe the other ones are harboring. So I would, I would, interesting, fascinating. I'll send you, I'll send you this study for sure. Cause I looked at it and of course, you know, I mean, yeah, there's so many elements that with every study that's done, it's actually meant to raise questions like exactly what you did to say, well, let's go test this now, you know, whether harboring the emotion could cause heart disease, which now, you know, we do know from these Harvard, Harvard studies versus, you know, letting it go and not suppressing it or dealing with it in a negative way as well. Or did the couple who argued, who didn't like arguing, did they also just drink more? Like it's hard to, you know, you have to look at so many different things. <laughs> So or there's always makeup sex, and then they could have done that, and that uh, there could have been longevity there. You don't know. <laughs> that should have been one of the questionnaires. Did you have a lot of makeup sex? So, so were you able to, with all the research that you were doing to help yourself during this time, did you call on other people to help you, or were you just experimenting on yourself at this point? 
At this point, I was uh, researching on my own. Um, I, I, because I had tried uh, reflexology, I tried Reiki, I tried nerve ablation. Everything was just it. It was uh, it. It wasn't working. And so at this point, it was just it was like okay. Um, it was very much about all right. Let me let me figure this out. Um, and researching the mind, and then once it was like okay, well, I need to identify the specific emotions. Because that, that was key. Like I could look at it and say, okay, well, somebody's embarrassed. That obviously affects somebody differently. And the idea of saying, okay, well, you just have to be stress-free to heal. Uh, yeah, I mean, really uh, would have been great. But, uh, and at the time, not only that, but I, I mean, I literally felt like my entire world was falling apart. I went from a network engineering operations salary to a disability um, income. And couldn't, I mean, owned my house myself so it was just there was a lot of I mean like literally it felt like my entire world and safety was all falling apart and then I'm supposed to somehow be happy and change my emotions which <laughs> obviously I managed uh to do and it was but it was about really uh creating that shift so when I mentioned previously I said you know really creating the emotional shift Part of the way to do that is, is, of course, to address the specific emotion and shift it. And a lot of times what can happen because these emotions can be so much part of us is it can also be a paradigm shift. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, let's say if you take somebody who's lived their life in fear and they're walking down the street and they have a... They're looking at people in a way of just, okay, I don't trust that. Okay. Like, and that's the way they just see the world and they feel about the world compared to somebody who feels like the world is a beautiful place. It, it, like you, you see the world differently. And so for some people it is a paradigm shift, but with every single person I, I work with, what I do is I, I identify the specific combination of emotions and, and then I shift that and, a lot of people, they try to say, okay, well, it has to do with this trauma or uh, this trauma or this trauma. I'm not a believer so much in trauma as I am in the emotional pattern behind it. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times the trauma, if you follow the trauma, there are other similar traumas. Not that the experience is the same, mm -hmm. but it can be the same type of emotion. Just like um, maybe if... If I use the example of, of the woman who has the abusive father and then leaves him and finds the abusive husband, boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And let's say that that was the case. And I was like, okay, well, let's work on this traumatic situation with the husband. But it goes back to the childhood of, of whatever, or people have a, a trauma where they felt terrified. And then they realized that even though the situation was different, five years previous, they had a trauma and they were terrified and it was the same emotional experience. And so what I really show people to do is, is how to shift emotional patterns yeah. um, because it, it really boils down to, to that. So some people even go, well, I didn't have a trauma. To me, if you had, like I would have said, I didn't have a trauma, but I mean, I did, but I, you know, I was tough. So I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I was strong. I didn't, I didn't see it as, uh, I mean, some of it like, um, uh, one of the traumas, so to speak, that I experienced was that um, I had been working in network engineering and I was working, um, I worked basically the five to two shift. 
And so 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the Pacific Coast, on the Pacific Coast in California, which meant that during 9-11, I was in working when those when the planes hit. And so at the time that it hit, like when I worked in network engineering, um, on every post, so I worked in a large building, on every post there was TVs on every corner. On every, like, so TV, so I would be surrounded by probably eight TVs at any given time, right? So at the time, I was also on the phone with people in the trade towers. So they're screaming, saying, help me, help me, help me. And I'm watching the, the planes hit the, the towers and they're screaming, these people that I worked with. And, and so, and then the phone goes dead. And it just was this silence. And of course, my whole concern is, how do I help them? Like, I, it wasn't about me. How do I help them? I just want to help these people. And then for the next several months, probably a year, I don't know how long it happened, but there were, like, we were, I don't know if you know, but here in, in the U.S., we were, like, in red zone or an orange zone of terrorist attack. Okay? And then I drive over a bridge to work, and by the way, it's got tanks on it. And so my mind, with all of these things, and, and, and as I'm, you know, on the phone and doing my work and testing out circuits and doing all of these things, in my peripheral vision, here's this orange and this red and all of this stuff and all these things going on that's all surrounding me constantly because we had news on on every station because in telecommunications, if there's some type of catastrophe here or there, we have to know because it's going to shut down a, a part of the network or something like that. And so, um, so all of that information was going into my mind. Now, of course, I'm like, who gives a crap about what I'm going through? Look at these people. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, so there was that, and then, you know, and then in the middle shooting and, and different things like that. So, but every time my initial thought was, how do I help these people? Mm -hmm. uh, but my mind held on to trauma, um, of certain things that then also attach back to my childhood. So there was things that, it, I mean, it, it took a lot of, of self-awareness, put it that way. <laughs> Self-discovery. So obviously now from everything that you've learned, you don't expect people to have to discover this on their own. Like you've gone and you've developed tools to be able to support people. So when, you know, if somebody wants to work with you, um, you know, or to get to do this kind of work, they would come to you or somebody like you, obviously you, we're going to send everybody to you, Brandy. Um, and so they're going to come to you and then you're going to help them through that Totally. They're going to eat healthy with you. And then, <laughs> absolutely. And, and yeah, that's what I do is I help people to identify the specific emotion and, um, and help them to create radical shifts. And so, um, and it's life changing. It is life changing and it is life giving. It's life changing and it can happen quickly. Like that's the part that my clients, when they're like, how long is this going to take? You know, and they're thinking it's you know, because they've been sick for years while well, it's going to take years to happen or they expect it to be like when they take a, you know, a Tylenol or a sleeping pill that it's going to be instantaneous. And the thing is, it's neither one of those two, but it's somewhere, you know, not even in the middle, probably a little bit closer to like almost taking that pill because, you know, we need the body when they're using food as medicine. It takes a few weeks. It can be six days. It can be, you know, for diabetes, we can reverse diabetes in 30 days um, with most of our clients, which is phenomenal. That's been proven over and over again in lots of documentaries, lots of literature. Um, you know, in 30 days is not that long, right? And 
for other more complex diseases as well. Diabetes tends to be one of the easier ones, you know, for some more complex diseases like heart disease and, you know, extreme psoriasis and eczema, it can be about three months. But I mean, that's really tiny compared to how long they've been battling the disease. So, you know, when they're working with you, you know, what's that? I mean, it's different for everybody. And just like with me with nutrition, it's different for everybody. But the body is so fast at healing because it's got this number one power immune system behind it, this power hormonal system behind it, but also it has a power brain that we're not even using to full capacity behind it. So like, what is that time? Like, I don't want to give anybody a timeline, but what does that look like? Are they working with you for years, for months, for... Typically speaking, like it, it all, like you mentioned, it depends on what they're going through. Um, like usually like a lot of, of the online group coaching that I have set up is, is kind of where they go through a video set. So they learn tools and techniques to do things themselves. And then I have uh, weekly group calls and what'll happen. Like somebody who's, let's say they've had knee pain for years, they can just get on the call and I'll show them how to release it. So usually it'll take about five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. Now, the way to look at it is this, is that it's like anxiety. Like if somebody's experiencing anxiety and they have an anxiety attack, if they stop feeling anxiety, it goes away. If they start bringing it back again, it comes back. Yeah. And so what happens, uh, the way what happens is I'll take somebody and I'll show them how to shift out of pain in minutes and a good, good percentage of people will go, oh my God, like my body was telling me that, how genius. Because they'll start to look at it and go, um, you know, this is life changing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've heard things like emotions breed more of the same, just like we've heard success breeds success or failure breeds failure or people have patterns of feeling criticized and it's like they, they're, they feel criticized by their mom and then they grow up and they marry the somebody, their dad or mom or whoever, like their husband, spouse, whoever, they end up with that same pattern. And so what will happen is I'll show somebody, look, this is what's going on and I'll help them to shift it and they see the pain go away and they go, oh my God. All right, and, and they, a good percentage of people will keep it. Some people, they, maybe they have a pattern of self-criticism and they go, um, oh my God, they shift it and they go, oh my God, the pain is gone. And then a week later, they catch themselves criticizing themselves and they go, oh my God, they'll notice their pain comes back and they go, oh, I've got to shift this. And so that's why, you know, basically I have a 30-day program, which is where they learn how to use their mind to change their health and change their life and change these patterns and identify them and all these things. And so, uh, so that's what I do with people is, is I give them, I want everybody to have the tools it's, and techniques to be able to use their own mind. Because I mean, it's, um, you know, when you look at depression or you look at health and, and all of these things, or even just creating an incredible life, a lot of people don't know how to use the mind. And we've heard again over and over, we know very little about the brain and, and, you know, in, even in our traditional system, we look at antidepressants as like, and, and we're not great with the mind. And so that's what I, what I do is I show people what uh, the tools and techniques. So the short answer is, can somebody, typically five to 10 minutes is usually how long it'll take to get somebody out of pain, usually. Right. And I do this even in medical equipment so they can see it, not on the calls, but I've, I've done it plenty of times under thermography so people can actually see, oh my God, the change is actually happening on a, on a medical scan and so they can see it. And so, um, so that's how quick it can happen. And the goal is of course, to make it life changing. So if somebody has it come back, a lot of times with it was, oh my God, I didn't shift all the way. Let me shift all the way. Um, 
but the reality of it is, is that the more they really shift, the bigger the shift, the bigger the gift. So, oh, I like uh, it. They, right. And so it's just, it's life changing. As you change your mindset, you change your emotions, you change your life. And so, um, the best way to say it is, is everybody's different. Our minds are all different. Let's be honest. And uh, it can happen really rapidly. Some people say, you know, some people might want to change a little bit slower. Uh, the important part is, is change. Yeah. And what I think from what you do and then what I do as well is that at the end of the day, when the person just does it, like you go through, like even if you're a complete denial and you're like, I don't believe this, I'm going to go work with Brandy. And then you get, because at the end of the day, you're going to be dealing with an emotion. So maybe the emotion is doubt or maybe the emotion is fear of it not working or fear of what, well, you know, there's so many emotions that the person can come into. But I mean, if you show up to do the work, you know, you are most likely going to see some change. And that's what motivation is, is when you go and do something. And even if it's a little bit of change or a lot of change, that actually gives you the hope, the um, inspiration, the motivation to try it a little bit more. And that's what happens with us. People come to us and they're like, yeah, I don't believe that food is medicine. And I'm like, okay, like, why don't we just try cutting out refined products and just try to eat nutrient dense, you know, fruits, vegetables, and grains for a little while. Just see, like you only have to do it for a few days, see what happens, but then they just do it. It's so simple. And people like, it sounds, would probably say the same thing to you. Like, they're like, wait a minute, this is too simple. I can't believe that this works. Like with all the complexity of, in our medical and science system, how could it be so simple. And then once you do that and you get a little bit of results and you know, at the end of the day, what have you got to lose? Because you could go in and have a surgery where they have to give you general anesthetic, they have to operate, or you can try going on meds where, you know, we know the outcome of taking lots of medications. You most likely will just have to keep taking more and more and more. Oh yeah. Or you could just try this, like try eating a little bit better or try working with Brandy and see if that shifts your knee pain or it could be your shoulder pain, which I do need to contact you about my shoulder pain. Which we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. You know, what's funny is this. I had a woman that I worked with uh, who had a tumor in her throat and she had tried everything and was very anti-surgery, anti-surgery, all of that. Finally was like four or five months had passed and was like, okay, I have to get surgery. Her and I connected the day before. And I, and I showed her, basically I worked with her for an hour and 15 minutes. And she showed up for surgery the next day and the tumor was gone. And the ENT was like, I have never seen anything like this in my 30 years of, of experience. So what I always tell people is I always say, look, don't like, I, I tell people, I said, don't avoid the surgery, do this. Yeah. Blow your doctor's mind, <laughs> make the change, make the real change. Totally. And then when you show up at your doctor's and they're like, uh, you don't, have this illness anymore yeah uh, that's that's what I love is when you can just blow your doctor's mind you know blow your doctor's mind you know <laughs> I, I think that's an amazing way to wrap up this show because um, otherwise I'm going to go down this tunnel of also sharing stories like that as well. Um, especially after reading mind over medicine, Dr. Alyssa Rankin's book, I started to like, look at spontaneous remission, like to be like, what is spontaneous remission? How does this happen in the body? Like to visit, try and rationally and logistically understand, like, how can you go from having a tumor in your neck one day to like a few days later, or even 24 hours later to it being gone. And I mean, it happens all the time. I think they have like over 30,000 documented cases of like spontaneous remission that have been document documented. But what they also say is that almost every doctor who practices 
working with patients, they see these spontaneous remissions happen and they actually don't know what to write down. So they don't even write down anything. They're just like, um, okay, well, maybe the person never even had the disease in the first place. So they yes. don't write, so they don't write down where somebody's eyes got better and they're like, yeah, well, we must have misdiagnosed it in the first, like I see that where especially eyes or cataracts, stuff like that, where like they are incurable all the time. What happens is exactly that. They, they have some, and then the, the thing that happens is they come back and go, oh, we, we must have, it must have just been a cloud. We must have misdiagnosed it. Like, no, it couldn't have possibly healed. Yeah. No. Despite yeah. the number of specialists that signed off and said, yes, they had cataracts or yes, they had the tumor. I mean, so we see that happening. So I love it. So for anybody who's listening out there, I would take Brandy's advice of just like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just try and blow your doctor's mind. Like how exciting is that of like just a game you can play with yourself just to see if you can get results like that. Because at the end of the day, we really know so little about the human body and how it works. So, you know, by taking a step in this direction, we can truly like, we can wow ourselves and wow the people around us. And there's nothing to lose by doing it. That's the beautiful thing. There's only truly life to gain by doing it. So Brandy, there's so much more I want to dive into, but um, just in, I mean, it's almost, I can't believe we, I was like, hey, well, I'll try and keep it to an hour and now we're almost hitting two hours. Um, but I do want to have you on the show again because there's so much more that I want to talk about as well. Like everything from, um, you know, working with your clients to, you know, what are some of these tools that people can start using how can they get and how can they get more information by the way we should end with that how do they get more information and how do they work with you um if they go to my website at brandygilmore.com uh they can find more information and and they can see actually the woman who, with the tumor miss it like gone who's standing like outside of the hospital so that and uh and my website there's a contact thing they can just click on contact and um and i'd be happy to help them Awesome. And they don't need to be located in California to, to work with you. Can you work with them online? I work with people all over the world from usually North America, Europe, and Australia are, are my biggest areas that I work with people. So yeah, everybody's online. Awesome. Great. <laughs> awesome. So in the, um, it, we're definitely going to do a follow-up show because I want to talk about the work you're doing in corporations. I want to talk about your PhD research and how, what brought you down that route as well. Cause I am so fascinated by that. So, so much to talk about. Thank you so much for um, being on the show. This has been such an amazing experience. You're amazing. And it's been so wonderful being here with you. And thank you for having me. Oh, thanks, Brandy. Thanks, Brandy. So what did you think about that story? Brandy is an incredible human being. In fact, after we did this episode, Brandy just happened to blurt out that I might have some chronic pain happening in my body. And sure enough, I let her know that yes, I did. In my shoulder, I did not suffer an injury. I do not know what happened. Um, it was just one day, a year and a half ago, my left shoulder started to ache and it was keeping me up at night. I didn't understand what was going on. I went to physio, I went to Cairo. I you know, tried all of these different modalities. I dove deep into the Gerson therapy and Ultimately, I got some reprieve, but the pain was still there and I didn't understand why. Well, Brandy offered to do a session for me and right away from her very first comment, 
She hit a nerve with me, literally, emotionally and physically. And what happened after that is all of a sudden, the pain completely left my shoulder. And this podcast was um, recorded probably about uh, three weeks to four weeks ago. So back in June of 2019. And I haven't had the pain return. And really when I say that she hit a nerve, she really touched on something that was going on emotionally in my life that seems to have manifested as a physical pain in my body and she was able to tap right into it. I did not expect this out of Brandy. I had never worked with her before, but I was blown away. Um, And then it was interesting because I wish I had pressed record on the whole entire session so that you could have heard what was happening so you would understand the process. But ultimately, you're going to have to call Brandy yourself, book an appointment and start healing your body today. We're going to have some of her clients on our podcast as well in the future because I think it would be great to chat about their healing journeys and healing process because often so many of us we go to our gp our general practitioner our doctor and we expect them to have the answers but really it takes a village when it comes to raising our children growing our food and ultimately for healing ourselves so if you love this show please share it with someone give brandy a call set up an appointment with her don't let yourself live in chronic pain for one day longer when there just might be an answer around the corner. So thanks for being with us. Also, before we sign off, don't forget to check out our our website for our Richer Health Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center because we do have one more spot available at our upcoming three-day Eat Real to Heal retreat in beautiful Pemberton, British Columbia, which is located 30 minutes north of Whistler, BC. Our location is stunning. The retreat is incredible. You are going to learn everything that you need to do to be able to turn your kitchen into a local pharmacy so that you can start reversing your chronic degenerative disease starting from the moment you enter into the retreat center and onwards for a lifetime because ultimately what we're teaching is lifestyle medicine we're not teaching a diet we're not teaching a cleanse it's not a one-hit wonder pill what you're going to learn is what you can take with you for the rest of your life that's going to help you prevent treat and even reverse chronic disease you'll be able to use this information to teach others how they too can change their diet eat the foods that heal and stop eating the foods that harm so check us out at richerhealthretreatcenter.com. Sign up for one of our retreats and don't forget to visit our new website, nicoletteriche.com, where we are launching two incredible new programs this fall. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, eat well, be well. Bye-bye.